Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I love a good story. I mean, you give me a good spy thriller and I am hooked. Something like James Bond, maybe even back in the day when I had more time to read fiction, a fictional spy novel. Imagine this. Imagine there's a spy and there's a spy that goes undetected in the United States government for nearly two decades. Imagine that this person is considered a celebrated member of the Defense Intelligence Agency and has relatives that are part of the FBI, even the Army. And all of a sudden, you find out that they've been spying for not the Russians, not the Chinese, but the Cubans for two decades. Well, it may sound a little unbelievable, a little far-fetched, but then... Imagine that this spy is a woman. Well, you don't have to imagine any of those things because that is precisely what happened. This is a true story, and it has been memorialized in an incredibly fascinating new book chronicling this called The Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's insider account of the spy who evaded detection for 17 years. I'm very, very pleased to be joined by the author of this book who retired as a special agent for the FBI after 22 years. He's done a lot of interesting things in both the public sector and the private sector. And uh, now he is the author of the book, Queen of Cuba, Peter J. Lapp. Peter, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank, for having me on. I really appreciate it. The pleasure is uh, all mine. Uh, This story, as I alluded to, is almost too fascinating to believe, but apparently it is absolutely uh, the the God's honest truth. Let's begin with the basics here. Who was Anna Montez? Prior to anyone knowing anything about her spying, give us kind of the thumbnail sketch of her biography. So Anna is an American citizen who uh, came in uh, from a Puerto Rican family, the oldest of four children. Father worked for the U.S. Army off and on as a psychiatrist, and her mom uh, did time working for the federal government in, as a public servant, uh, the oldest of four, and, and went to graduate school. And during uh, you know the mid-'80s, when if you think back to the Iran-Contra time frame, you know, the U.S. was uh, supporting Contras in the jungles of El Salvador and Nicaragua. And she had, under President Reagan, she had some really strong opposing views and became disgruntled uh, and had a grievance and therefore was very vocal in college, graduate school in D.C. about her uh, opposition to U.S. foreign policy at the time and a fellow graduate student who was also a woman and and Hispanic herself, heard her views, befriended her, and then uh, not too long after introduced her to the Cubans and the Cuban Intelligence Service. And the rest, as they say, is history. She's unique in many ways, as you alluded to, because of her gender. Uh, We didn't, the FBI does not arrest many women for espionage uh, in the modern era. 
And she went to the defense intelligence agency solely for the purpose of spying for the Cubans, and that makes her incredibly unique. Wow! Again, I, in the history of, of espionage. So her father was a veteran. The sister was an FBI translator. The brother was an FBI agent. This is not somebody that I would think would fit the profile of working against the interests of the United States government on behalf of of communist Cuba as. As far as you know, Peter, why did she begin spying? Why did she want to do this? Well, I mean, you allude to her family being, you know, very uh, much in the public service, very loyal, true, patriotic Americans who who serve their country, our country honorably throughout the course of their careers. She just real had had real uh, opposition to, in her view, how the United States treated other countries. You know. She's. You saw her statement, if you've had a chance to read mm-hmm. her statement, January 7th, when she was released. She talks about how the United States has not been good to Puerto Rico. You know, there's a lot of debate about the, the Commonwealth status versus a territory. Um, hasn't been good to Cuba vis-a-vis the Cuban embargo. Um, she, has a, she has an idealism in the sense that she really hates the United States and its interventionalism in her mind in countries around the world. And her attitude is how dare the United States dictate how another country should run itself. So I don't see her and I don't view her as pro-Cuba per se, but almost more anti-American. Hmm. And that's the sentiment that I picked up on in in the 11-month investigation that I was a, a partner to. And then the seven months of sitting in a room with her, debriefing her as part of her plea agreement. When give us the give folks the timetable here. When did she begin spying? She started in September of 1985 when she walked into the DIA for day one, and and she had already volunteered to the Cubans uh, after they spotted and assessed her through this other American named Marta Velasquez, who by the way is in Sweden uh, and has been indicted for espionage by by the Justice Department. Um, and then, you know, had already been to Cuba illegally and covertly to how to learning how to be a Cuban spy, um, had already made that illegal trip with Marta in the spring of 1985. So from day one, she was fully recruited, went to DIA solely for the purpose of helping the Cubans, initially uh, helping them with Nicaragua, but then it became El Salvador. And then finally, in 1992, she got access to information uh with regards to Cuba and help them directly with themselves versus another country they were supporting. So this began in the 80s and then continued right into the aftermath of uh, September 11th. That's just incredible. Yeah. And so unlike a lot of other people that uh, that we've caught spying against the United States government over the years, it's not as if uh, she was being paid very handsomely by the Cuban government or getting lavish gifts or anything like that. No, it wasn't paid at all. In fact, she told us that she would have been, uh, you know, repulsed if the Cuban had asked her to had offered to pay her money. She really felt it was a moral calling to help Cuba in what it was doing in Central America against the United States. So, didn't receive any money for her espionage, other than operational expenses from time to time. I think they bought her a car. Because at the time, she was going to work at Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. And then when she went to DIA, she couldn't take the metro. She had to commute. So the Cubans did buy her a uh, a very lovely Toyota Echo, which was <laughs> not living in style in any 
any stretch of the imagination, but more of an operational expense versus a luxury item. With people just tuning in, we're talking with Peter J. Lapp. His uh, new book out this week is Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's insider account of the spy who evaded detection for 17 years. Peter, I realize there's a whole book about this and want to encourage folks to to read it. But give us the 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 Reader's Digest version as to how was she caught after successfully evading detection for almost two decades? How did it all come crumbling down for Ana Montes? You know, I, I describe her as a near-perfect spy. She didn't do anything wrong, um, didn't say anything at the wrong time, brought very little scrutiny to her her espionage career. In fact, you know, had really had the reputation of being the queen of Cuba. When it came to the Department of Defense, she was the go-to person with regards to Cuba. And and we had a very closely, we, the FBI, the, the NSA, and another agency that's asked me not to name them, so I won't. We had a very close-held need-to-know investigation based on, um, you know, some very uh, substantial NSA decrypts that gave us breakthroughs in, in, in 1998. And it then led some folks that knew of the tidbits to reach out to the Defense Intelligence Agency, which we hadn't even considered, frankly, um, our suspect pool was because of some basic information that I don't want to give away too much mm-hmm. to and get too into weeds, but we had the entire FBI, the entire CIA, and the entire Department of Defense as a potential suspect pool for who Agent S was. And that's that's two and a half million people, not including contractors. So our we had a, a needle in a haystack, a huge haystack, and we had a lot of other needles that we were looking for in a lot of other haystacks. So it wasn't just like we learned of one case. We learned of a lot of cases, and it was a a pretty massive undertaking that just it took time to really get get a lucky break, and that's ultimately what, what led us to Montez being the prime suspect or person of interest. When I think of countries that would have a robust counterintelligence operation and really have a concerted effort to spy against the United States, I and I think probably a lot of other Americans think of countries like Russia, think of countries like China, maybe North Korea, maybe a couple of other hostile actors. But I've kind of been of the opinion that over the last couple of decades anyway, Cuba almost seems rinky-dink in their counterintelligence operations and not not someone that had the wherewithal to really target the United States in a manner like this, both in the 80s all the way up to the early part of the 21st century. How robust was the Cuban counterintelligence operation? And to the extent that you can tell us these days, what kind of methodology do we think the Cubans are up to with respect to spying now? Well, you're right. When we think of counterintelligence, we think of Russia, China, China, Russia, 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 China, China. I mean, it goes back and forth between those two countries. And Cuba, at least from the public conscious, I mean, those that have worked Cuba, the target within the United States government, they know how significant and professional they are. I mean, they've learned from the KGB back in the 80s with the Soviet Union. That relationship is strong, was strong and incredibly vital. They're one of the best intelligence agencies in the world, really? pound for pound. Wow! They really are because, and here's here's where I think they're. I don't I don't I don't admire them. I I do professionally respect them. They they find folks not like Hanson and Ames who, kind of kind of slimy in the sense that they did it for money. 
and and not a moral cause. Montez and 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 Velasquez and then Kendall Myers later, the Cubans are so very good at finding individuals who don't do it for money, but do it for this higher moral calling. And I I I, I don't admire it per se, but I do respect it in the sense that they tap into that those individuals that have that visceral empathy and are willing to risk. I mean, uh, Montez possessed and passed classified information that could have resulted in the government going for the death penalty. When you do something like that, you do it for a higher calling. I think they're, they're able to find people that have a different moral character than a, than a Hanson or an Ames who are just doing it to enrich themselves. And that I think is part of why they're so good at what they do. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Why do you think this story is important to be told now? Obviously, there's a lot of national security, uh, national security concerns about a wide variety of hostile actors, including a lot of non-state actors. But what does this story about how Ana Montez, the queen of Cuba, was caught mean for U.S. national security these days? Well, I think it, 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 it brings into focus, you know, when you think of Edward Snowden, and you think of Chelsea Manning and Reality Winner and Daniel Hale, you know, some of these uh, folks that have, have released uh, classified information into the media, they, they didn't do it for money. They did it for this idealistic calling, this trying to right a wrong, if you will, from their perception. And I think Montez fits into that. So the, the 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 paradigm kind of continues on since 2001 with mm-hmm. Anamantas with some of these other cases. And I think that's important for the American people to recognize that this continues on just because you don't get a paycheck for it from a foreign intelligence service doesn't make you any less dangerous than, than someone who does. Um, you know, I think, I think the FBI has received a lot of criticism uh, over the past seven or eight years. And I thought, that it was important to tell uh, the good work that the FBI does do and share that with with folks and and enlighten them that there's some good news that happens from time to time. And here's a story that's a good news story. And I think that, you know, we open our mind to the fact that it's not just guys who commit crimes and and espionage. We do have to, you know, think about women as being potentially folks that that can do damage to our country just as 
viably as a, as a man can. This is a much different situation than Edward Snowden, though, isn't it? I mean, in the case of Edward Snowden, while they both might be driven by ideology, it seemed like there was a desire to expose warrantless wiretapping and the spying of Americans and get that out to the public. In the case of Ana Montes, she was giving sensitive information to a hostile foreign government. I mean, even though they both weren't getting paid, I think there's a pretty big difference in terms of motivation don't you? I think they both disagree with different U.S. policies. So Anna disagreed with, you know, this interventionalism that she would describe the United States as, as having done over the years. And, and Ed Snowden, I called him Eddie on Twitter, which is why he probably blocked me. Um, he, he disagreed with a surveillance policy. So it's that disagreement with, with foreign policy that led to a call to action. It's okay to disagree with a policy that your your administration, your government does from time to time. Even if you vote for the person, you probably don't agree with everything sure. that that president does. But it's that call to action that you take as a result of that disgruntlement grievance and that, that higher call to action that I think is, is important to understand and highlight a little bit more. And I think we've seen that idealism, maybe not ideology, but that idealism has repeated itself even before Montez, but since Montez and some of these other cases, in in my opinion. Tell me about what it was like for you coming face-to-face with Montez for the first time, uh, someone that you had been investigating even before you knew her identity. What was it like when you got to meet in person? Surreal. <laughs> you know, we were, we were exhausted because it was September 21st, 2001, 10 days after 9-11, so the fatigue, I had a three-week-old, three, month, three week old. Uh, my firstborn was three weeks old. Wow. My partner was exhausted. We were just, just kind of just, just hanging on for dear life. But meeting her in, in person for the first time, knowing that she was leaving that room with handcuffs. She wasn't walking out free. We had an arrest warrant in our back pocket, and the goal was to try and get some, some kind of confession or admission the reality was she had prepared for that day years before Steve, my partner, and I had ever heard the name Ana Monta. She didn't know this day would come. I think she prayed that it probably wouldn't, but she prepared much better for that day than Steve or I did. And from, you know, uh, hello to Moran, uh, you know, lawyer, I think was about four minutes. And then, uh, we had the honor to tell her she was under arrest for, for conspiracy to commit espionage. The um, the debriefing that you ended up doing with her, which lasted uh, many months, she gave up the woman that recruited her and shared with you a lot of the methods that she used. So I, I'm somewhat surprised that someone that was so devoted to the cause of whatever we're going to call it, uh, anti-imperialism, ultra, you know, left wingism, uh, Marxism, whatever. I'm somewhat surprised that she would essentially rat on her cohort and roll over so quickly. Was there any sort of a change in her or is that just a result of effective interrogation on your part? Yeah, I can't say it was good interrogation on our part. I think it's a mercy of honor and that she wanted to help the Cubans but wasn't able to, to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And I don't mean death in this case. I mean not taking a plea, mm-hmm. risking it going to trial and spending the rest of her life in prison. She had selfish reasons and i can't i can't blame her for taking the plea 
she uh, was and is very close to her mother, and I think she wanted to see her mother alive before she, you know, she passed away and, and see her, you know, free. So uh, she's out now and she's able to spend with some time with her mother. Um, you know, and as a parent, I can't I can't sure. really fault that. Um, but at the same time, I think she should feel very lucky that she's free because most folks that commit espionage of this stature, you know, Hanson was carried out. Um, six months ago. He he did not walk out of prison, and she's very fortunate to have walked out of prison. You alluded to the fact that she is free now. She was released from prison in uh, January of 2023. What, to the best of your knowledge, what's she up to these days? What's she doing now? Living in San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, you know, carving out a new life for her, another chapter of this life. Um, she's trying to stay away from any and all publicity, has no interest in talking to the media. I believe she's you know, living, you know, by herself and working some part-time jobs and I guess building some credit. She's got a little, little gap in her resume. So I'm <laughs> assuming that, um, some folks who are, who are sympathetic to her and, and, uh, you know, unfortunately she does have a fan club. So there's some people, I'm sure both of her employers had no issue with what she did. And she's, uh, you know, working on, on creating that new life for her at the, at the age of 67, I think she is now. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens after Mom passes away. Um, whether she stays in San Juan or does she does she go to Cuba? I think only time will tell. One of the things that I've seen in criminal case after criminal case involving FBI agents, in particular, is that particularly if someone's cooperating, but even sometimes in a lengthy debrief, there it, it almost serves as a relationship pressure cooker. And I've known a lot of FBI agents who either befriend or at least the uh, person that's cooperating with them thinks they've been befriended by the FBI agent. I'm curious what your relationship was like with Anna after months of sharing a lot of uh, tough conversations, I'm sure, with her. I would think there's something that goes on in your relationship, even as professional and as experienced as you might be. Did there ever come a point where you viewed her as something like a friend? No, 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 no. Yeah, I was. Um, and and I, I will say it's probably a regret of mine. I was 31, 32 years old at the time and, and maybe had four years in the FBI, but had been a police officer five years before that. So in my vast nine years of law enforcement experience, which is just a, a beginning, I didn't do a very good job of hiding my disdain. I never yelled, I never screamed, but I really didn't, I wasn't very good at the poker face. And, and it, I think my opinions probably came out too, too much. She did not like me and, and the feeling was very mutual. I, I actually have to admit, I, I hated her. And, and um, I'm at a point now where I hate the sin. I don't hate the sinner. I, I wish she had taken her life and done something better with it because I think she had all the talents, all the gifts, all the blessings, all the skills to do something really good. And I think she threw it away with helping the Cubans because I don't think she made a, a difference. 
but no, there was, we're, we're not exchanging Christmas cards this coming holiday. Um, and, and we did not get along very well. I had, I have a desire to small talk and have, you know, try to try to have conversation when the, when the tape recorder wasn't rolling and we were just having lunch and she wanted nothing to do with me. Her version of rapport was turn your tape recorder on and ask your first question, wow. which was, which was not very fun for seven months. Oh, I, it was, it was, I, I think I was being tortured <laughs> you know, in the seven months and, and, really missed the 10 months of the investigation, the, the putting the, you know, the kind of cat and mouse and, you know, all that was much more enjoyable for me than the seven months. The, 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 uh, you know, the novelty wore off really quickly of sitting next to on a monster. I can imagine. Gee, well, it's a fascinating story. Uh, it's a book that everybody's going to be talking about. People should check it out. It's called queen of Cuba. And my guest has been Peter J lap. Hey, Peter, I'd love to stay in touch. Hopefully we can have you on again soon. Thanks, Frank. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.